Husker Out Loud is a weekly podcast about San Francisco real estate from the Jackson Fuller team, San Francisco Realtors since 2002. Show notes with links are at jacksonfuller.com. Hey, Britton. Howdy, Matt. I've got a game. I like some games. (laughs) I thought we could play the Name That Neighborhood game. Let's play the Name That Neighborhood game. All right. I'll give you a neighborhood description, a very well-written, concise, interesting, delightful neighborhood description that perhaps one of us may have been involved in crafting. You tell me a neighborhood. All right. All right. And um, each of these neighborhood descriptions has a couple sentences. I'm going to pause after each one to see how many sentences it takes you to get the neighborhood. This is just mean. Well, turnabout is fair play. A thin sliver of streets... As north as you can be on the west side of town without being in the Presidio. Seacliff. That's true, but no. (laughs) Compared to the Richmond, you'll generally find larger homes on shorter streets with select homes opening up to backdoor Presidio. Oh, Lake Street. Ding, ding, ding. I think I might have even written that. (laughs) West Clay is an exclusive enclave of special homes within a special neighborhood. That's Lake Street. That's Lake Street. It's a sweet spot. It is. All right. You ready for another one? Sure. Let's see if I can humiliate myself again. Well, then then it'll be your turn to turn about fair play here. All right. Here we go. The Comstock. Jones Street. Knob Hill. Ding, ding, ding. Drop dead downtown views. Polk Street. When elegant begins to get a bit denser and estates become co-ops and full floor penthouse homes... You'll know you've crossed Venice and arrived in... Knob Hill. Knob Hill. So, classic San Francisco neighborhood. You ready for another one? Sure. All right, we're going to hop across to uh, a very different part of town here. Centrally located, north of Hayes Valley and south of Lower Pacific Heights. Western Edition. Ding, ding, ding. Between the Venice and Deviz corridors. I feel like we're playing um, Family Feud. (laughs) not related. I'm just, bam, slam the buzzer. Uh, you're not competitive or anything are you no all right not at all ever wonder what it would look like if you rebuilt pacific heights at the top of twin peaks in the 1960s large sloping lots that assume you have at least two cars clarendon heights bridge to bridge views clarendon heights is so pretty the land of former mayors and current moguls there's some great houses there. There are some really cool houses up there. And the views. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So the only downside I, I could think is for some of the houses that are, you know, very vertical. And they do have just amazing views. But to get to your yard, you've got a whole lot of stairs. That's true. That's true. But, you know, stay strong. All right. Oh, this is easy. The site of perhaps the most photographed vista in San Francisco. Alamo Square. Is home to the world-famous Painted Ladies. The row of iconic Victorian homes with the city skyline as the backdrop provide a picture-perfect postcard view of San Francisco. That is the one that everybody knows about. I actually, when I moved here from Austin, a friend came to visit and she had no idea that San Francisco actually looked like that all over the place. She thought that those were just like half our of the, special street. <laughs> yeah. She thought that that was like a half a block and people took pictures of it. Cause those were the Victorians that were left. 
Alrighty then. Mid-century construction, utilitarian buildings, and jaw-dropping views of downtown in the East Bay. When Twin Peaks. When the wind and fog relent. Twin Peaks indeed. Yep. Twin Peaks was on the news the other day for a, a planning board appeals decision. Oh, I didn't see it. What was that? Uh, there's a, a street over there, Hopkins, that mm-hmm. had a home on it that was built by a noted architect. And someone had filed remodel plans and essentially got a little carried away. Well, not got a little carried away. They demoed the house. Whoopsies. And guess what the city has decided to make them do? What? Well, he demoed the house because he wanted to make it big enough, the owner says, for his family of six to live in. And, you know, this was just a reasonable thing he did. And, you know, the houses built was like 1,500 square feet, I want to say. And what was going to be done was three, 4,000 square feet. So it was that kind of a project. Mm-hmm. Um, and the city has unanimously voted that he must build an exact replica of what he tore down. That's it. Not wow. one inch bigger. <laughs> wow. So... Um, I wonder what the deed restrictions are going to look like on that one after it's finished. Yeah, which on, you know, the one hand, I get that planning is making a point. You know, if you pull a permit to do something, honor the permit. Um, But on the other hand, in this day and age is, yes, it's an architecturally significant home. So that's a compelling reason to to rebuild a replica of a single family. But you could build a lot of units there. Yeah, I mean, it's I, Twin Peaks, you know, it's a single family and pretty much everything right around there is 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 multi-unit. So, I mean, couldn't we at least get some affordable housing out of this somehow? Anyway, um, here's a fun one. Most people don't know this. Formerly a burial ground. Oh, um, Anza Vista. There you I go. Th- it was right on the tip of my tongue. Otherwise, once you get past that, it's an oasis of mostly single-family homes with some surprising views in a central location that has like a target right there now. It really does. That neighborhood is, it's surrounded on all four sides by, its its boundaries are all busy streets. Masonic, Gary, Deviz, I think, mm-hmm. and Turk. Mm-hmm. And Turk is kind of sort of busy right there. Well, and right there, it, like, it opens up into like the four-lane stretch with the, right. the turn lane in the middle and, you know, no obstructions to going silly fast. Right. So Yeah, I mean, it's surrounded by super busy streets, but within it, like if it seems like if you're in it, you're you're there for a reason. It's not much of a of a passage neighborhood. No, it's not one of those. It doesn't have streets that you drive through to get to another neighborhood. Right. It's very Although you do kind of drive through it now to get out of the Target parking lot along kind of those streets right on the edge oh, of it. Right. But other than that, you know, it really doesn't carry through traffic, which is interesting because there are plenty of neighborhoods that do, like Noe Valley and Clipper Street. Right. I mean, some neighborhoods have really busy streets and you look at the, the sales data and you can see a pattern. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> which busy street don't people want to live on in a neighborhood? All right. Here's a... Here's a handsome winning neighborhood story in San Francisco, if ever there was one. From freeway bisected loser to urban renaissance pedestrian paradise. Oh, Hayes Valley. Ding, ding, ding. Talking about the central freeway that came down after the 1989 earthquake. Well, 
How long did it actually take after the 89 earthquake? 20 years? I mean, when did it actually come down, down? I mean, it was somewhere between... Well, it ca- I mean, the... We were at the Soma office because there was a day when we couldn't <laughs> take that off ramp anymore home. Well, it used to go all the way into Hayes Valley over Octavia. Yeah. And so the ele- that section north of Market Street came down probably, if not immediately after the earthquake then. Um, but it you it would go, it went over market and then it went down onto Octavia Street when it used to be elevated over all of Octavia Street. And there were all those off ramps. Right. Um, but but there was, were, I mean, the final remnants of it didn't come down for... Yeah, that was probably eight, ten years ago, something like that. Yeah. I mean, it, it took a long time. Yeah. So, and I mean, there are still lots that haven't been built. Yeah, those all those on the east side of Octavia, all those super skinny lots that are, I mean, they're maybe like 15, 20 feet wide, and they're talking about putting micro housing there. Well, I mean, 8 Octavia, that was one of those lots. I mean, that's a really skinny, long, funky lot right. that came about because of Central Freeway. I mean, Central Freeway coming down is what made room for so many things to happen in Hayes Valley. Yeah, for right. So uh, Patricia's Green, the park, obviously first came, you know, I don't, I don't want to say first, that came along. But then you've got 8 Octavia, uh, 400 Grove, 450 Hayes. 388 Fulton. Uh, 300 Ivy. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's uh, like uh, a couple senior housing projects as you go a little bit further north. Uh, and a couple others, um, but you know, pretty much all of the mid-sized boutique buildings in Hayes Valley used to be part of the freeway system. Isn't it just crazy what was done to this city in the name of the automobile? Yeah, and not just in you know, like Hayes Valley. I mean, when they, I mean, they wanted to put a freeway through Golden Gate Park. Yeah, the Panhandle was supposed to be an elevated freeway. Yeah, and they were going to widen um, or even do more to Portola to make that you know, like some kind of freeway artery as well. And if you're driving around Forest Hill Extension, Laguna Honda, sometimes you'll see houses that look like they don't belong. And it's because they don't. They were moved uh, to make way for that project. And, of course, the in my mind, the granddaddy of the bad ideas <laughs> was the elevated Embarcadero Freeway. Which also came down after the 1989 earthquake. Yeah, and, and you look at you look at those. I mean, it just it was so. What were they thinking? Like, hello, we've got beautiful neighborhood, waterfront. Let's put a double decker freeway between the two. Seriously, in service of the automobile. Although, I mean, I guess you know the city was a different city then, and you know those ports and and docks weren't used for tourists. They were used. It was very blue collar kind of industrial. So I guess. Maybe it was shipping. like, you know, let's, let's build a, let's hide that stuff or something or yeah. But you know, so well, and the, I, I can't think of that. Is it something, oh, there's a building on Davis and the address of it is escaping me, but on the, on the water facing side, all there's no windows there's no there's windows. Just, because it just backed up right against this elevated freeway. So that came down and now look at the Embarcadero. It's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, freeways do what freeways do and what freeways are designed to do, which is move the maximum amount of vehicles through an area as fast as possible. And if you listen to our other podcast about what makes a great neighborhood, there was nothing in it about freeways. I mean, freeways destroy neighborhoods. 
Yeah, they don't they don't add much character. That's you know, for sure. nobody goes for a stroll along the freeway. You know, <laughs> it's exactly. I mean they're they're noisy, they're dirty, they divide things, they're they're dangerous uh, to pedestrians. Yeah, you can't walk beside them or across them. You know, traffic doesn't stop, so there's there's no stoplights and crosswalks and all that. They're just they're dividers. Yeah, I mean, they're not designed for people, you know, no, at all. other than people in cars. Exactly. So, and pretty soon, probably just, you know, cars without people driving. Or Yeah, because what's the point of a car moving without a person in it? Delivering stuff. That's a drone. <laughs> How about this neighborhood, Britain? <clears throat> Flat streets dotted with gingerbread Victorians and unashamedly modern interpretations of Edwardians Running parallel to the panhandle of Golden Gate Park. North panhandle. Nopa. Park North. Depending on which version of the SFAR map you're looking at. That was just so silly. So the panhandle, North panhandle, was once on the San Francisco MLS called Park North. That was just stupid. (laughs) Tell me how you really feel. No, I mean, people would say, isn't that Nopa? And I would say, yeah. And then, so it got changed. How about this one? Uh, Liberty Hill, the sweet, sweet home surrounding Dolores Park, where new money gazes out at the downtown skyline after a walk through Dolores Park with the pooch. Dolores Heights. Dolores Heights. You're confusing me. I do what I can. Is Dolores Heights really a neighborhood? Um, Or is Liberty Hill a neighborhood? Does a historic district make a neighborhood? Why are you quizzing me? I don't know. Because I can. It's a weekend. Chill out. It's never a day on a podcast. It's whatever day you're listening to it. It's true. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I should even give this neighborhood description out. It's a contentious neighborhood. Ground zero for gentrification oh, arguments. Yeah. So is it the mission or is it intermission? Again, with the SFAR map, what everyone colloquially refers to as the mission on our map is called the inner mission as opposed to the outer mission. What is the outer mission? It's um, a bunch of single family houses. I, I love the outer mission. I think it's adorable. It totally is. There. I agree. We have such a great story about selling a house in that neighborhood. <laughs> we'll tell it later. Um, but we we went way south there and ended up in the outer mission, but we were talking about the mission, right. the inner mission. Um, and it is absolutely ground zero for arguments about gentrification and housing and who does a neighborhood belong to and who gets to live in a neighborhood. And how should a neighborhood um, evolve, transform, adapt, change, grow, stay the same, all of the above? Yeah. And I mean, I I actually think it is an interesting, you know, kind of question about who gets to decide who does a neighborhood belong to. Usually the people who live there think it belongs to them. Funny that. Yeah. I mean, mean, they're the they're the immediate stakeholders to use the 2018 phrase. But City Hall thinks they own all of the neighborhoods. (laughs) And. You know, this becomes the, I mean, who has a right to speak for who, you know, is, is I think a lot of what this issue becomes because particularly, I mean, these are neighborhoods or this is a neighborhood that is historically much lower on the socioeconomic ladder. 
Right. And, and that means that historically it's non-white people. True. And so that's why it's ground zero for the discussion about how this neighborhood, I mean, change is unavoidable. We're not frozen in amber here in this city. And there are neighborhoods that probably haven't changed much over the last hundred years other than bare trees and more cars. But the neighborhoods like the Mission are a lot more dynamic. And so the city's goal is to increase density along transit lines so people don't have to have cars. And going back um, to the last podcast that where you talked about what the planning department says makes a great neighborhood, the city has the goal of having neighborhoods with all the services that you need within walking distance where you don't need a car, you feel safe walking there, and you can hang out with your neighbors in the public space. Right. And this is one of those, you know, moments where what the city wants and and what, you know, neighborhood residents, I think, generally want line up. What the issue becomes is what the market will allow to happen, you know, in the sense that building affordable housing or building a housing that has an affordable component is a very neglected form of building in America. And there are very few sources to build affordable housing uh, in terms of funding anymore. And so, you know, the city wants to densify and, and make more housing, but the only way they can essentially do that is through the creation of market rate housing, because if you don't build market rate housing, you have no funds to build any affordable housing. Right. And that's because the developers are required to, if they're going to get a permit, to build market rate housing, they are required to put money into affordable housing They're, or either build it themselves or put money, give the money to the city so the city can pay it. So more than nine units. It's yeah. Yeah. So the it's inclusionary housing. So everyone wants affordable housing, right? Everyone wants housing that, you know, everyone could afford, you know, waiters, uh, teachers, police, uh, the middle class heart of any community that everyone feels should be able to live in a neighborhood because we haven't built enough housing for so long. You know, now when we try and build housing, it's market rate is, is exceeded what those incomes can afford. Right. Um, and there is no pool of federal money or state money or even city money where you can just go to and be like, hey, I'd like a check for $100 million to build an affordable housing development. I mean, that money doesn't exist. So the way they do it is, you know, you, you tack it on to the market rate and essentially market rate housing subsidizes the creation of affordable housing. But, you know, you can only subsidize so many affordable housing units with market rate housing before the market rate housing is priced so high that you've exceeded the incomes that are available to buy that. <laughs> it's all a balancing act. Welcome to the mission. Exactly. <laughs> How do you feel about the monster in the mission? Um, I think that anything's an improvement at 16th. I used to live a few blocks from there and 16th and mission is pretty disgusting. I'm not going to get all broken up about the loss of, um, a Burger King. I'm surprised the city hasn't declared it a historic resource. I mean, they, they tried it with a laundromat in the neighborhood. That is just. That's why people laugh at us. Right. Or there was the the former, uh, what was the auto repair shop 
um, that was going to be turned into housing until the city decided that it was, you know, a historic building. I'm rolling my eyes. It was auto repair. And so the city, in their quest to prove a point, didn't allow this developer that, you know, bought this building for an incredibly crazy amount of money to do anything with it, I think, other than build four units, which would never have penciled out I want based on what, what they paid for it. And so for how long now? It's just sat empty and been a, a collection point for homeless people to hang out and urinate on the building and graffiti. And I'm, I'm not trying to pick a fight with those individuals, but how did the city serve anyone there? They didn't. You know? <laughs> Anywho, um, Tennessee, Minnesota. Oh, we're doing another one. <laughs> um, dog patch. Correct. I love the dog patch. I do too. It's sort of a fun neighborhood. I think it's a very San Francisco neighborhood. It's very, there's there's so much old and there's so much new there. It's like industrial Bernal. <laughs> but with wider streets. But with wider streets. And it's fairly flat. So we started selling in Dogpatch before the um, T-3rd was running through it. Talk about it. Talk about a neighborhood changer. Yeah. Remember what else the, the T-3rd was going to transform? The Bayview. How's that working out? Well, 3rd Street's different. 3rd Street is different. I mean, the Bayview is different. I mean, it's another, you know, like 5,800 3rd. That's a massive condo development in the Bayview that's, what, seven, eight years old? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Um, Here we go. The black sheep neighborhood of San Francisco that tried its hardest to avoid being the cool kid neighborhood. Gay leather bars mixed with wholesale flower warehouses. Oh, Soma. There you go. And multi-million dollar conversion lofts. <laughs> Soma. Used to be gritty. Still is in parts. It sure is. Do you think Soma will still be around as a neighborhood in, let's say, 30 years? Or will it have been kind of chunked off into other areas and kind of unrecognizable? Well, the area around... Market in South Venice is obviously going to be completely transformed with all those new high rises that are going in over the next decade ish years. We're talking about city planning speed here, folks. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that that central area around Market in Venice and South Venice is going to change quite a bit. Honda dealership is going to turn into a, what, a lot of homes, thousand units, about a thousand. And then across the street, One Oak will One be Oak. is is another huge tower that's going in, and so so Soma is going to, I mean, the South Beach and Yerba Buena have pushed kind of south into South of Market, and as that sort of gotten more you know more housing and mission bay aided it from the other direction and then when the central soma plan if it ever passes you know they'll you'll have kind of a couple of again high density cores and the rest of the neighborhoods kind of left untouched so does the flower market project kind of anchor one end of it that becomes this thing and then you've got 
the former SF Chronicle site, um, that massive project there that really kind of blurs Yerba Buena, South America. So we'll see. You're always wondering about stuff. I am. This is a true statement. Stately single-family homes with views to the southwest at the base of Mount Davidson define this west of Twin Peaks classic. I'm going to go with Westwood Highlands. For those of us that live in the city of San Francisco that might not know this is a neighborhood, where is Westwood (laughs) Highlands, Britain? It's west of Twin Peaks, man. (laughs) North of Monterey? Yes. So it's like kind of, yeah. So um, Westwood Park is south of Monterey. And then Westwood Highlands is north? Correct. Yeah. Because Westwood Park is between Monterey and Ocean. Right. And this is kind of... The land of bungalows! So Westwood Highlands is sort of north and up the hill from Westwood Park. How about the neighborhood filled with storybook stucco charmers and mid-century modern masterpieces meandering through this semicircular neighborhood that fans out to the northeast, east, and southeast from the base of Mount Davidson before coming to an abrupt stop at the top of Glen Canyon Park. I'm, uh, I'm going to say Mariloma Park. It's an adorable neighborhood. It is. Would you live in Mariloma Park? Probably. I'm not really feeling the commitment there. <laughs> <laughs> There's some great houses in Mariloma Park, and some of them have fabulous views. How about the neighborhood that Adolf Sutra once owned all the land for, and the first town in the neighborhood was sold... 1914. Forest Hill? Very good. I think I wrote that one. So, Forest Hill has some killer homes. It does. There's a lot of history. That's a great neighborhood. Almost all the, the houses are detached. The lots are big. There's lots of trees. Variety of stars. Backyards. You got a, a muni station. You got a muni station. You used to have a really good Chinese restaurant. Used to. So, that's sweet and sour pork. <laughs> Oh, well. We've been meandering through a lot of neighborhoods. We have. And I don't even think we've gotten to like 30. We've probably talked about like 15. Yeah. Talk about San Francisco neighborhoods for a long time. Before we'd get bored. Hey, it might be another podcast. It might be. All right. If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Tell your friends. Listen to another one. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Oscar Out Loud is a weekly podcast about San Francisco real estate from the Jackson Fuller team, San Francisco realtors since 2002. Show notes with links are at jacksonfuller.com. 